You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I am so happy to be back from our little summer break. And I wanted to just say a quick thanks off the top here to all the audience members who came up to me at the Happy Valley Ironman 70.3 a few weeks ago to say hi and to thank me for the show. I love meeting you guys out there. And I hope you all had a good race. That was a challenging course for sure, and it was made more so by the classic midsummer Pennsylvania heat and high humidity that we all got to experience firsthand. I personally had a really fun day, and I will be doing a whole show on my training and the event with my coach Marnie Sumball in the next couple of weeks, so stay tuned for that one. And uh, as you all know, I have been collecting questions to do another Q&A episode. But I got one that I thought I'd share right out of the gate here because it's one that comes up a lot and this one really resonated with me and I I just want to make it very clear. So this question is from Kara and I will let you hear it in her own words. Hi, Selena. My name is Kara from New York and I just discovered your podcast. I'm very excited about the content here, but I have to admit to some frustration being over 60 and through menopause, that I am always somewhat relegated to the and beyond category. And I'm wondering if you are going to have some shows that just deal with life after menopause and trying to still be an athlete. Hopefully, I'll see some of that content. And I know you have some that I probably haven't discovered yet. So I'll definitely be poking around listening to some more episodes. Uh, Thank you for your great work here. Okay, so you can definitely feel the frustration and the sadness there, right? And I just want to say first, Kara, welcome to the community. Welcome to the show. You are not alone. In fact, I too am in the quote unquote and beyond category because I'm a postmenopausal woman myself. And I know that there are plenty, plenty, plenty of audience members in their 60s and even 70s who listen as well. And the and beyond that I talk about is not meant to be an afterthought. It's meant to be a clear inclusion. The advice that we give in the show is quite literally for all women in and through the other side of this big life transition that we go through. Once our ovaries start the retirement party, we need to make adjustments. And those adjustments that we make continue long after they've closed up shop. Now, there are certainly some issues like muscle loss that intersect with age, but the advice is literally the same for everyone. And it's the same because of age too. And I'll also mention that the issues that can arise during this time can pop up kind of any time along this spectrum. And it's different for everybody. Some women have anxiety as the first sign that menopause is coming. Some women don't experience symptoms like vaginal dryness until they're into post-menopause. And that's why I was, when I when I developed the show and in each thing that I write and I put out there, I do include that in the menopause transition and beyond because it literally means just that. We are talking to women who are just starting this. We're talking to women who are in the throes of it. And we're talking to women who are, quote unquote, on the other side. But it's not like everything just goes away. You know, symptoms continue to arise. Some fall back. But all of it is for all of us. And I hope that helps. Okay. Speaking of issues that affect many, many of us in and beyond menopause, this week we're digging into anxiety which is a show I have wanted to do since, well, since we started this thing. Crushing anxiety, especially at 2.30 or 3 in the morning, was my earliest sign of perimenopause. Except I didn't know it at the time. I just thought I was coming undone. So it was a relief to learn that it actually had a physiological origin. 
And this week, we talk about those origins and how it manifests, and of course, what can help. This week, with registered menopause specialist, Dr. Claire Spencer, who is the co-founder and clinical director of My Menopause Center, which is based in England and Wales. She did such a brilliant job of really breaking down the hormonal components and strategies to manage anxiety, and I am certain that this one will hit home with many of you as it did for me. You can learn more about Dr. Claire and her work, and she also has an an essay on this topic at mymenopausecenter.com, and I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes. During the conversation, she references a blog that I'd written on fear and anxiety, where I drew a little cartoon of what it feels like for me sometimes when I'm on my mountain bike, and she uh, recommends taking their menopause questionnaire that she has on their site if you want to connect the dots on some of your own symptoms, including anxiety, and I will put a link to both of those in the show notes as well. Okay, before we get to it, as always, check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Feisty Menopause. Sign up for that free weekly blog at feistymenopause.com. You can also learn more about our Level Up membership there as well, where we meet weekly with many of the guests on this show, and you can have sort of one-on-one time with them. And thanks, as always, for your continued great reviews and five-star ratings. It's awesome. I appreciate you, and it helps me to continue get great guests for this show. Finally, super quick thanks to Bonafide for their continued support. I just saw that their hot flash relief product, Relizin, got a thumbs up in Prevention Magazine as one of the best supplements for menopause. I've heard from many of you how your hot flashes have dramatically improved after just a few weeks of using it. So definitely worth giving it a try if you're in search of a hormone-free treatment for hot flashes. Uh, There's links and discount codes in the show notes. And thanks, Bonafide, for your support. All right. Enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Okay, Claire, I've been looking forward to this for a long time because as we were chatting offline, I haven't done a designated show on anxiety and some of these issues, and I really think it merits a show of its own. But before we get to that, um, I want to know a little bit more about how you got to my menopause center. You know, like I read up on you and it sounds like, you know, you were an OBGYN and you were in general practice. How did you work your way into this menopause space? Yeah, thank you. So I, as you know, had been working in OBGYN and then switched to general practice, which is like family medicine um, for better work-life balance. And so I'd always had a really big interest in women's health and kept that going into um, general practice. And I think it must have been, I was trying to think, just under 10 years ago, as I was in my early 40s, And started to appreciate that the menopause was really could potentially have a really big impact on women. But 
I hadn't had a lot of training in it myself, even with my medical background. And as a woman, I didn't know very much about the whole range of symptoms that you could experience. And so I really started learning more about it and was really taken aback is too strong a way of describing it. But just, you know, pennies started dropping when particularly when you start to learn about the psychological symptoms of the menopause and you sort of think, well, women get through childbirth, they get through the postnatal part of life and you're having a career, you're still working, et cetera. And then you get through all that and then the menopause happens. Ah, so I wanted to learn more about it. So I felt that I could support women because there weren't that many doctors at that time who were specializing in menopause in the UK also. Yeah. And thank you for getting on that so early. You know, I mean, we, we're seeing a growing momentum in this space. And I think it's because women with platforms are, you know, at that age, you know, like we have women in positions of power who are in menopause and like, why has nobody ever talked about this? And, you know, so now and now, uh, you know, I, I have a little trepidation because now we're a big market and all of that 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 means. I'm wondering, like, how is what is your impression? I mean, you started this before there were a whole lot of people in this space. And if you look around, especially in the UK, I feel there's a lot of conversation going on and a lot of services. What is, how do you feel as all of this has taken off in recent years? Yeah, no, I think it's really positive. So we set up my menopause center um, two years ago now. Where um, So my very good friend Helen Normoyle and I were chatting at the school gate She's from a marketing background. I'm from medical background. And so together, we really felt that we could put our talents together to create something that could really communicate and speak to as many women as possible. And I think you're right. So there are lots, there are increasing numbers in this space. But I know we're going to be talking about anxiety. You know, when you think about women sort of struggling with symptoms, not really knowing or appreciating what's behind the symptoms and not even knowing or having the knowledge and understanding that the symptoms might be menopause related. And then that just increases the anxiety that you might be feeling a little bit edgy. You might be starting to feel anxious. And then you're trying to keep a lid on your symptoms, say in the workplace, people aren't talking about them. There's a taboo about talk. And that just feeds into that anxiety. So I think anything we can do to increase women's understanding so they're not blaming themselves, they understand the symptoms for what they are, I think is a really great thing. Amen. So let's talk, <laughs> let's talk. I mean, I, I 100% agree. As, yeah. as anxiety, and let's talk anxiety, it was one of the first things that I experienced. And it came out of the blue, just sort of waking up at 2am feeling like my world was crumbling down, right? And I was just like, um, you know, and I've always had, I would say a bit more of a Anxious personalities and same. I'm a good catastrophic thinker. You know, I can take any scenario and make it the end of time. But like it was it was very unusual to me to have like this really free floating anxiety and like fear and all these emotions. And I I had no idea that it was related to like I had no idea. I was in my mid 40s and like still getting regular cycles and just no hot flashes or anything yet. You know, the night sweats would start a bit later. Um but you know, you read, you wrote this really great, like that's how I found you. This great article on anxiety at my menopause center, which I'll link to because I thought, like, this is so wonderful. Just looking at the chemistry, and I know it's complex, but can you just sort of talk us through, like, why? <laughs> why does this happen? Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And I've spoken to so many other women who anxiety is the first thing that they noticed from just not wanting to drive on the motorway. Yes. You know Crazy really things, impact. right? Like I'd be yeah. like going on to, and try teaching your daughter to drive. Oh my God. Well, she's going onto the motorway. You don't even want to be there yourself. Sorry. I just had a moment. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, no, so what's going on? So if we just take a step back and think about what is happening in the menopause, so just thinking for a moment about that hormone estrogen, which is one of the really important hormones that our ovaries make, 
So before the menopause transition, your ovaries rhythmically produce estrogen and that every month will go up and down and so will another hormone called progesterone. And in the start of the menopause transition, the feedback mechanisms that you need to keep that rhythmicity start to fall down. So the estrogen can fluctuate far more erratically from high to low and the troughs of the up and down are lower. So the massive fluctuation, that erratic hormones all over the placeness um, can trigger anxiety. And then the drop in estrogen itself can also trigger anxiety. And that's because estrogen has a really important role to play in our brains. Um, A lot of little chemicals called neurotransmitters, which are sort of chemical messages in the brain, um, and there are specific neurotransmitters with specific roles for different bits of your brain. A lot of them are dependent on estrogen to be there. Um, and so with the fall in estrogen, with the fluctuations in estrogen, the levels can can um, not be as they were before the menopause. And then the end result of that means that you can feel anxiety. And for some women, it'll be depression and or does that make sense? It does. And are those neurotransmitters, the chemical messengers you were talking about? You know, I see specifically sometimes serotonin and norepinephrine are mentioned. Are those two of the primary ones when we're talking about anxiety? mood? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So serotonin, dopamine. Um, mm. So in England, in the UK, we'd say noradrenaline or norepinephrine. Yeah. Um, and GABA also. Um, which ha- is more of has a more of an inhibitory role. So when you lose estrogen, you lose some of the inhibition of GABA, which is and that can also then add to anxiety. That's a really simplistic view, and it's probably a lot more complicated than that. But that's that's cort- fine. The the <laughs> overview is fine here. Yeah, yeah. C- cortisol may have mm. a role to play as well as with the drop in estrogen cortisol levels which is released at times of stress can rise and that keeps your body in a bit of a heightened sense of excitement or anticipation again giving making some women feel a little bit edgy so mm-hmm. there are many many factors but biochemically that seems to be what's going on without even getting into what's going on in life with work whether you've suffered depression or anxiety in the past, whether you're an anxious type of person, you know, um, all of those different factors also can come into play. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, it's interesting how this all manifests because, you know, there are women in our audience who talk about, and they, they've never been this way before. And all of a sudden they have rage, you know, they, and they describe it as rage or they can't stop crying. Um, do we know, I mean, it makes sense to me that if you've been sort of prone to these things before, that you might be more prone to them now, whether that is depression or anxiety. But do we know why some women seem to be more susceptible? Is it just like greater hormonal fluctuations or just like the receptors are more sensitive? Or Yeah, that's a really great question to ask. And it would be lovely to know, wouldn't it? <laughs> but no, just so it's probably the research indicates that it's probably not absolute hormone levels for some women. So you could have 10 women with the same hormone level and you might get 10 different reactions or 10 different reactions to the menopause, if you if you like. So it's probably not the absolute level, but it's just some women's brains are just more sensitive to hormonal change and drop in hormone levels. Um, and yeah and a, an adaptation has to then occur as you go into the post menopause where your estrogen level is low and stays low and some women will adapt faster and some women it will take a longer time um i think another part of the answer to your question is if you suffer from premenstrual syndrome or mm. premenstrual dysphoric disorder if you've had postnatal depression they're sort of indicators that your brain through no fault of your own is more sensitive to those hormone changes and hormone levels. 
That makes that makes a lot of sense. And and I'm wondering, you know, a, a friend of mine actually had her very first hot flash at a little gravel biking festival we were at. And she said she had like a wave of panic before it came on. And I've heard other people talk about that. Is there a connection there between the hot flashes, like the vasomotor symptoms and what we're talking about here with the mood? Yeah, so that's really interesting. Again, it, it's it's not very well understood, but adrenaline and noradrenaline might have a part to play in it. And some women will say that they get, it's a bit chicken and egg. They'll say that they have a hot flush and then they start to feel really anxious as well because they're thinking everybody's looking at me, I'm feeling embarrassed. And then that creates a sort of biochemical anxiety reaction. But for some women, they start that feeling of panic first and then they feel a hot flush come on. It's really interesting. It's so different. The stories that women tell are so different from person to person. And how quickly, you know, one of the things I wonder, because you talk, you know, there's all this debate about measuring chemicals or should we look our hormones? Should we look at it? Because the levels can change, you know, from hour to hour, from day to day. Like, how quickly are we looking at? Like, how quickly are, are these hormonal surges happening or drops happening? Oh, oh really quickly, really quickly. Um, I, So... <sighs> And it's literally day to day, probably hour by hour, they can change. Um, I, I'm just thinking of data that I've seen. I, I don't know exactly, but we do know that this is why it's not that useful to measure blood tests in the perimenopause, particularly where literally your hormones can be fluctuating really erratically. So the blood tests themselves aren't that helpful. What's more useful is to sort of keep a track of your symptoms and see how they're changing. Talk to your doctor and tell the story because that's probably a much better way of tracking where you are. On my menopause center um, website, sort of completely appreciating that it can be really difficult to diagnose the perimenopause. There isn't one test that we can do that will tell us. This is why we wrote quite um, a menopause questionnaire, basically, that takes you through a, a set of questions to give you an outcome. Because those blood tests, it's so nice to have an answer, isn't it? But they really aren't that helpful. Yeah. And what you're experiencing, I mean, if you're experiencing these things, and I guess I mean, I'll be interested. I'll check out that questionnaire and put it in there because I, I think that maybe that just helps women connect the dots, right? Like if I had had something like that, you know, like, how old are you? What are you experiencing? Well, I'd be like, oh, perhaps, <laughs> you know, this is what is happening. Yeah. Yeah, because so many women I talk to, because the the start of the menopause transition can happen so insidiously, it can just really creep up on you, can't it? Definitely. And so many women will say they just thought that they couldn't cope or they were getting stressed or they stopped. They started dropping balls when they were juggling lots of balls. You know what it's like with children and work, et cetera. Um, and they, as you say, that's a brilliant way of describing it. They don't join the dots and realize it's the menopause. They blame themselves, basically, and think that they are, you know, it's their fault. Especially when you're talking about mood. I mean, you know, the women have always been attributed to like, oh, you know, it's in your head, brain fog, like anything that's cognitive, I think is really easy to be like, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me, you know, and, and just sort of blame mm. yourself as opposed to looking externally and be like, maybe there's a root cause that's not just me losing my mind. <laughs> you know, maybe there's something else <laughs> going on. Like, it, you know, as I mentioned in in the questions that I sort of sent you ahead of time, you know, I was a mountain bike racer at the time and it was very jarring. And I've heard from women, we have a lot of very active women in our audience, you know, the rock climbers, they're skiers and doing these things that, um, you know, take a certain amount of not having fear, <laughs> you know, and like all of a sudden, like I would be at the top of a downhill that I'd done. I could have done it in my sleep and just paralyzed, you know, and that's a very disorienting feeling yes and I, I love there's a little cartoon uh, that i drew so, in my yes brilliant being at the top of a mountain and thinking oh or being at the top of a mountain thinking well i put my body here and my da 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 
And it's almost you you take for granted, don't you, how you're going to react and how your brain is going to work. And then if you're at a sense of, you know, if you've got that sense of heightened anxiety and you're used to being able to keep a lid on that, to be able to think clearly through a technical mountain bike descent, I completely see. And I have spoken to other women who have said, you know, the adrenaline fueled sports suddenly become far more challenging. A rock climber who said she just she was paralyzed with fear where she'd never had been before. And what did you what did you do with her? Yeah, so there are lots of different ways of managing these symptoms. So with her specifically, we spoke about HRT because that's what she wanted to talk about. But there is a whole range of different sort of ways of helping. Would it be helpful to sort of talk through? Yeah, I mean, let's let's talk through some of these symptoms, because one of the things, one of the reasons, honestly, Claire, that I started this show is that when I started looking at things, I'm like, okay, this seems to be where I'm at. I did some research and all the advice was like, you should exercise. And I was like, okay, well, I'm there. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> check, you should eat well. Yeah. Yes, I do that too. So, yeah. so much of the advice that we get from the general literature is just stuff that we're already doing, you know, in this audience. So it would be, it would be a hundred percent helpful, you know, and I, when I go to some of the, like the North American menopause society conferences and that like there, it's not unequivocal in, in those settings, whether hormone therapy does help with this anxiety and fear, but a lot of women anecdotally will say it does. So yeah, I would love to talk about some of the, you know, the ways that we can get through this better. Yeah, no, totally. So if you're an adrenaline junkie, you may have to really try and teach yourself to either look at meditation, look at yoga, just looking at creating space when your mind is sort of frazzled, if you know Mm -hmm. what I mean. I mean, I personally used to find yoga very challenging because I'd always lie there thinking of all the millions of things that I had to do. But actually now it's very useful for learning to switch your mind off to just tone it down. And relaxation breathing has a really good evidence base behind it. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I did a whole show on um, breathing with body by breath with a woman who wrote that book, Jill Miller. And also, you know, everybody I've had on this show for the past two and a half years now, like cognitive behavioral therapy and breath work comes up again and again. And the evidence is quite good. Um, for the, for That's exactly right. Yeah, no, it is cognitive behavioral therapy. There is very good evidence. Um, in the UK, there's a professor called Myra Hunter who did a lot of work on women who'd had breast cancer. And cognitive behavioral therapy can um can help both physical vasomotor, so hot flushes and psychological symptoms of the menopause. So finding the right therapist, looking at how to break the vicious cycle. I always think of it as before sort of unhelpful thinking and the outcome that you have as a result of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. The thought work is what a lot of people are calling it now. And I kind of like that because when you say cognitive behavioral therapy, it's just, I think people are like, that sounds really intense. I don't know if I have the bandwidth for that. Right. But if you're just like, how about some thought work? You know, it's like, okay, I guess I can work on my thoughts. I think that's so true when there's so much going on in your brain. I really like that thought work. Yes. Yeah. We could all use Um, some thought work. Yes. (laughs) But what about hormone therapy? So what about hormone therapy? So hormone therapy or hormone replacement therapy, HRT, is giving you back some of the estrogen. So you're not aiming to flood the system. You're just aiming to give enough back to fill in those deep troughs and just help reverse some of the changes in the brain. So there is good evidence that HRT can really help the psychological symptoms of the menopause, um, starting it in the perimenopause, so the early menopause transition. I am not going to lie, it's not a magic bullet. And I personally, for some women, they'll take it and they feel amazing and they never have a symptom ever again. But I do speak to lots of women where it's taken an edge off. It just gives you enough clarity. It just keeps a lid on it in order to function. But you're still, there are still ups and downs. And the evidence bears that out. And where does the progesterone fit into that? Because what I hear sometimes is that 
it takes a while sometimes to dial in the mood because some women have when you add you know like whatever the cocktail is they're using it's not working and they're feeling like sadder or you know they have some trouble with that progesterone in their moods yeah that's a really good point so everybody who takes hrt will have estrogen if you have your uterus or womb you also need the progesterone because estrogen thickens the womb lining so you need to take the progesterone to keep the womb lining thin and stop it thickening basically some women find progesterone really helpful particularly for anxiety the breakdown products of progesterone hit those GABA receptors um, that can help keep a lid on anxiety and also sleep but some women are really super sensitive to progesterone so it's what we touched on earlier the breakdown products can make you feel premenstrual so irritable low in mood so yeah some women will say i'm taking the progesterone but it just makes me feel like a dark cloud has descended over my head i have heard that from some people Mm -hmm. yeah and it's really fascinating because it's the same story it's the same it's a black cloud and completely disconnected yeah and we don't really know why some women react like that and others don't you have to take the progesterone to keep the womb lining thin so the challenge then is to look at doses look at types to try and find something but it is fascinating yeah yeah no that that's important because i think some people are just like that doesn't work for me and then give up on it like it is worth i think if you're going down that route to work with your doctor right and see if you can dial in the types doses to that might help you yeah no that's a really really important point to make you rarely get hormone replacement therapy right first time You may need to look at doses. You may need to look at different routes of taking it. You may need to look at different types of hormones. So, yeah, just going back and back and back to your doctor is really important. So you get it right. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, plus even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice-cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Previnex.com. That's hip play, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. And we, we often hear from women who are um, prescribed SSRIs, SNRIs, you know, the antidepressants sort of out of the gate. And it's it's interesting because 
there's there's still a stigma with that too, you know. So some women are like, I don't need that, I don't want that. But they but they can help because of these mechanisms you're talking about, not only with the mood changes, but also vasomotor symptoms, correct? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. So um SSRIs, so selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors are like estrogen, increasing the amount of available serotonin in your brain, and that for most women will make them feel better. Um it, so in terms of HRT versus SSRI or SNRI, um, it can be difficult to know which way to go. So I usually talk about HRT first because there is evidence that probably HRT works better if your symptoms are related to the menopause transition. But if you have re- if you have symptoms of clinical anxiety, clinical depression, actually, you might need an SSRI or SNRI. And some women, a small percentage of women actually need both also to get them back to a, to where they need to be to function. So they both work in sort of the way that, you know, the outcome is the same. SSRIs, you're right, there is a stigma and also side effects can be an issue with antidepressants. So loss of libido, um loss of sexual response loss of ability to orgasm can be issues so yeah yeah that that's an important issue it's not issues that we should just accept right no but you know if you have if you're if you've got really severe depression severe yeah. anxiety it, it, it you that is a good route to go down yeah. yeah what about some of the alternative treatments you know i know that there's not necessarily as many randomized controlled clinical trials and things like ashwagandha, you know, and some of these adaptogenic yes, herbs. Yes. But I also hear, you know, there is some evidence, you know, if you go into PubMed, you can find some evidence. And, you know, anecdotally, I've certainly heard from women who find it extremely helpful, you know, with some of these, especially ashwagandha comes up a lot. Um, I'm curious what your experience or thoughts are with some of these alternatives. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just taking a step back and remembering that I'm a medical doctor with medical training, so we didn't get training in herbal alternatives, but just reading around, because it is interesting, isn't it? And certainly many women I've spoken to have tried a number of different types. Um, So there are bits and bobs of evidence, but in reality, unfortunately, nobody's done the really big studies, the really big randomized control trials to tell us whether they're effective or not. Most of them are unlikely to be harmful to most women, but you do just have to check to make sure that the herbal alternative isn't going to interact with your prescription medication. Because just because it's herbal doesn't mean that it's necessarily safe and without risk. So you for for example, um St. John's Wort. Um, it's sometimes taken for hot flushes or mood, but that can interact with tamoxifen, which is an important drug given to women with breast cancer and makes it less effective. So my thoughts are, look, if it helps, that's great, as long as it's not going to interact with something that you take already. That's a great point. And I always tell people that if you think it has an effect, it might be able to have a side effect. You know, they, they if you yeah. think something is strong enough to have an effect, then it is also strong enough to have a side effect. And it's important to know those things with whatever you're taking. Yeah, no, completely. I think just because you can buy it over the counter doesn't necessarily mean it's not going to do something. I think that's a good point, um, a really good point to make. Yeah. And also the other issue, well, it's not really an issue, but anything that you take for the menopause can have around a 50% placebo effect. Um, So a dummy effect. And whether that's something to do with taking control of what's going on, you're feeling you're doing something positive. But again, so what if it's placebo placebo works so much of the time? (laughs) Exactly. Because even the new, the new hot flush um, jug, and I don't know how to say fezzo, how do you pronounce that drug do you even know how to pronounce it um Um, they called it fezzo for a while and now the name is what is the brand name um it's fezzo linitant linitant thank you yes yeah it's um so that works on your hypothalamus that's really interesting yeah the candy receptors but it's just like Um, with with those studies because i I dug into it a ton like the placebo still had like a 31 you know had a very high like the 
the delta between the placebo and that drug was not enormous, you know, so it's it is yeah. it's fascinating the whole we dismiss the placebo effect, but it's so powerful. It is, isn't isn't it fascinating that even something like a hot flush that you can visibly see sometimes that a placebo effect will help, but it just shows that, you know, it shows probably why your thought therapy can be helpful because if yeah. you can just dial down your negative thinking towards having hot flushes, actually the evidence is that the hot flush can improve. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you think you're taking care of yourself, you know, I mean, it's just, it is fascinating. We could talk about that forever. I'm, I'm kind of curious about the, you know, like I never actually went any hormone route because I mm -hmm. just like by the time I realized what was happening, I was sort of through it. <laughs> but um, but but my moods are very stable now. So I'm I'm wondering, there must be some sort of a weaning process that happens regardless, you know, with the hormones in your brain, because I'm yeah. in a very stable place. You're fine. Oh, that's really good to hear. That is great. I so what we're increasingly understanding happens is your brain must adapt to its new normalness. You go through that turmoil, that sort of hormonal storm of the perimenopause, which can be five years, can can be up to ten years, yeah. um, and that's where your estrogen is fluctuating. That the menopause, the estrogen level is low and stays low forevermore. So although it's really key. Probably the stability means that things then adapt and you lose some of the turmoil that's going on, some of that sort of biochemical storm in your brain and things just settle. I suppose like shaking a snow, uh, one of those snow storms, snow isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a snow globe, yeah. Well, yeah, that work that like Dr. Moscone's work with the brain scans is fascinating, you know, the, with the whole perimenopause, like the physical and chemical changes, the energetic yeah. changes that happen. And, you know, most women in her research does settle down, but there's a there's a very important 20 percent in her research that doesn't, you know, and I think that we need to keep having these conversations and pushing for this research so we understand what this I, transition uh, does. Yeah. Yes, no, completely. Because, you know, when sometimes you might be looking to answer a question and th the research just hasn't been done yet, which is, you know, it, it's outrageous when you think about it. So, yes, great that more research is being done. And certainly on the note about um, symptoms carrying on, you know, I do see women in their 60s, even 70s still having symptoms who were too afraid to take HRT back in the early 2000s and now turning to HRT. Those numbers are increasing of women coming now in later years asking for it. And what is your thought on that? I mean, we keep hearing about this window of opportunity, right? And mm -hmm. I feel I have a lot of women in my audience who are 60 plus who are you know, they feel like that window is shut because it keep, they keep saying within 10 years of menopause or before 60. Um, wh where do you fall with helping those women who, like you said, a lot of them are still having hot flashes even? Mm. Yes. Yeah. So that window of window of opportunity really um, relates to the risk of heart disease. So if you start hormone replacement therapy within 10 years of the menopause or by the age of 60, there's a significant reduction in the risk of heart disease. Um, if you start HRT over the age of 60, particularly transdermal estrogen, so the estrogen you're taking through the skin, um, it the evidence tells us that it won't reduce your risk of heart disease but it shouldn't increase your risk of heart disease because it's the blood clotting that we're worried about right and yeah. yeah yeah so there are a couple of things so estrogen is protective on the cardiovascular system so if you can so when you lose estrogen the risk of heart disease increases slowly so if you can intervene in that window of opportunity, you can prevent some of the changes happening. So formation of plaques that block arteries in the brain and heart, for example. Um, so that's the first thing. And then, as you said, the second thing is the reason I stressed estrogen through the skin is because 
If you swallow estrogen, it increases your risk of blood clots and stroke. If you have it through the skin, it doesn't alter your risk. So you can imagine if you start oral estrogen that makes your blood more likely to clot late in the menopause, when your body has had a chance to build up blockages already, then that could increase your risk of saying have a heart attack or stroke. But the data we have suggests that if you give the estrogen through the skin, it probably doesn't increase that risk. Oh, that makes sense. And I wonder too, with the, because the brain health research is a little fuzzier too, when you get to the, you know, that point. Um, But we don't know if the, the method of delivery makes a difference for Yeah, you're absolutely right. We just don't know. We know for really young women who have a menopause under the age of 40, so that's premature ovarian insufficiency, HRT does make a significant difference on their risk of dementia. It decreases it. But as you said, I love the way you described it. It's all a bit fuzzy and grey. But I think I think we'll know more as more and more research is done as to the risks for women or preventative, um, how preventative HRT is in terms of dementia as time goes on when they're going through the menopause at a natural age. Um, so, you know, around 50s, the, the average age of menopause, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's such an interesting, and this is an impossible question to answer. It's one of the things that I run into, and now we're a little far off topic and I apologize for that, but I enjoying this conversation. So I, I I guess since we were here, one of the things that I hear so much from women in my audience is, should I be afraid not to take hormone therapy? And I confess that myself, a wrangle with that, even though like, I feel great, my performance is great, my blood pressure is great, my everything seems to be great. Like, am I, do I need to be taking this so I, I don't turn to dust down the line? You know, I mean, but, but like, logically, I can't reconcile that in my head because Every, everything seems like I'm, I'm, I'm in very good health. Um, what do you what do you say to women like that who are just like now afraid not to because it's so much in the air? Like you need to take it to protect your heart. You need to take it to protect. And we're just I'm like, ah, I don't know. I, I don't want to rock this boat. <laughs> but Yeah, I know. That's a really amazing question to ask. And it's really difficult. I think you it's a really individual decision. Because, you know, you are super healthy. And so you're, I'm sure your risk of heart disease will be low, etc. You're protecting your bones, you're getting outside, you're doing exercise. So if it's really, really um, dependent on that woman and her risk factors and what HRT, how risky or not HRT will be to that individual woman. So we, although for the vast majority of women, particularly under the age of sixty, the benefits about the benefits of HRT outweigh any small risks. There are some small risks, and those risks will be different. Um, the, the background risk will change from individual to individual. So, I think you know you need to look at your risk of heart disease. You need to look at your risk of osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. They're the two long-term health consequences of the menopause and dementia is just emerging, but we just keep that in brackets for now. Um, You have to look at your risk and then look and see whether HRT could be beneficial to you. But actually, what are the risks of taking the HRT? It's really tricky. I don't think you should feel pressure to take HRT. But in the next five or 10 years, we might have more data to help. But certainly if you've got symptoms, it's the most effective way of treating symptoms. So if you've got symptoms, it's more of an easy decision. And very much so, because when you really dig into the research, the women who have severe symptoms are at the higher risk for cardiovascular disease. So there's another element in there that is always very interesting to me. It's like that. So it makes sense to me that it would really reduce the risk when there is this risk that we don't necessarily know. I don't know if we know why that risk exists, but if your risk is elevated because you have severe symptoms and then you take something, um, you know, take hormone therapy for it, then it makes sense to me that it would lower it. If you don't have symptoms and you take it, I'm not sure that picture is as clear. 
Yeah, and we need more research. There, are, so there are bits and bobs of research emerging to for HRT and primary prevention. But you know, at the moment, the British Menopause Society, the International Menopause Society, aren't saying take HRT for primary prevention. But I think it's an interesting discussion. It's a very interesting discussion, and everybody wants their answers now. But we just don't. <laughs> have, we just don't have them. Um, Completely, and it may depend also on the type of HRT that you take, because some progestogens have a higher risk of breast cancer than other progestogens. You know, you've got the oral versus transdermal estrogen debate, so it's really not straightforward. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to tease out. <laughs> Well, yeah. I have I have loved this conversation. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your work. Is there anything we have not uh, covered or talked about that you think that our audience could benefit from? Um, I think no. I think we've had a really brilliant discussion, and I think I would just say, you know, have a look at all that symptom information that's out there. Have a look at the list of symptoms. Have a look at my menopausecenter.com website where there's information and all the symptoms that you could possibly um, suffer because I know it's a cliche, but I do think in this circumstance, knowledge is power. If you understand the range of symptoms, it number one helps you know where to then look for help and also can alleviate some of that anxiety, which is where we started because you understand what's going on. Well, that's our show. Join me next week for a great conversation with four-time CrossFit athlete, Lekka Feynman, who is currently gearing up for her fifth CrossFit Games at age 56, which are happening next week as the show drops. So send Lekka good vibes. We talk all about her journey and how she stays in the game. You won't want to miss it. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.